<laughs> well, we're in this series on joy called The Search for Happy. Just one more week left. Uh, next week, I've asked Sarah Tierney, who's our counselor, and Mike Nichols, who is her dad and an elder here, to uh, talk about what many consider the number one factor in a joyful, happy life. So don't miss next week. It's going to be really good. This week, we're looking at one of the great joy barriers, worry and anxious thoughts. Anxiety has been called the number one mental health disorder in America today. And in order to cope, we consume about 30 tons of aspirins, tranquilizer, and sleeping pills every day. Now, you remember that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? That was written before many of you were born. I understand that. You know what decade that was? The 80s. There were no good songs written in the 80s. None. But that's one of them. Uh, anyway, that tune will now stick in my head for the rest of the day. And Anyway, it's a simple song with a very simple instruction, don't worry be happy, and what it infers, if you do worry, you won't be happy, and there's a whole lot of truth in that. Those two conditions, happiness and worry, are not very compatible. If you have one, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of the other. And our text today is Philippians 4, 4 through 9, and uh, I love this text, and a few weeks ago, I remember running across an item, the number one tweeted Bible verse in 2013 actually came out of the book of Philippians. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 2013, number one tweeted. So I thought, well, let's look at the most tweeted verse of 2014. So we're going to have this list up there, those 10. You notice something. How many are out of Philippians? Three. And all three happen to be in today's text. So this text, Philippians 4, 4 through 9, is a great passage. Let's read it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about your job, about your finances. Don't worry about your physical appearance. Don't worry about being alone. Don't worry about what you're going to do after graduation. Don't worry about your health. Don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about anything. Jesus said, don't even worry about the clothes you wear or the food you eat or about tomorrow. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure I can do that. Let's step back for a minute. Maybe this will help. Just think about this. You would think, legally, uh, legally logically speaking, that in a culture that has insurance for everything, health, life, homeowners, disability, car insurance, insurance on appliances, rental insurance, everything's covered. You can cover everything. And on top of that, we have government programs, we have the government safety net, and we have so much wealth, and we have this huge technologically advanced army to protect us. You would think we'd have less to worry about. We live in the best of places. We have more security of any society, and we're anxious. Paul, on the other hand, is in prison, and basically he's waiting to see if he's going to die or live. He has no insurance, no guarantees, no government help waiting him. In fact, the government is his enemy in many ways. The Philippians are facing persecution and hostility from the culture around them. Paul and the Philippians are both in precarious situations and have a lot more reason to worry than we do, and yet Paul tells them, 
Don't be anxious about anything. We have good friends. Just found out one of them has cancer, serious cancer. Don't worry. I don't know. Now, one thing about worry, it is not indifference. You can care very much. There are some things that should concern us. But I sometimes wonder, what is the line between legitimate worry and concern, you know, or legitimate concern and worry? You know, when something is on my mind and, I, and I'm stewing on it, is it genuine concern or is it fallen over into the arena of worry? I, I'm not sure I figure that out yet. But generally speaking, worry happens when our thoughts move from a problem to all sorts of fears about the problem. James Bryan Smith says, despite their similarity, worry is not the same as being cautious or careful. We should be concerned about many things, locking doors, managing money wisely, driving carefully. This is not the same as worry. Worry is what we do after we have planned, prepared, and acted properly. Worry is a disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate measure of fear. Disproportionate level of concern, inappropriate measure of fear. Again, I'm not sure where the line is, what's appropriate, what's not. But here's what I know. Most all of us know there's times we've had a disproportionate level of concern and an inappropriate measure of fear. For about as long as I can remember, I've been prone to worry. I would worry when I was a kid about my grades. I'd worry about what people thought of me. I'd worry about dying and going to hell. When I was in high school, I started worrying about going on dates, and not many wanted to date me, so I probably shouldn't have worried as much about that one, but that made me worry too. And when I was in college, I'd worry about my future. I worried about being a preacher because I hated speech class. I worried about finding someone to marry. I remember thinking, now if I get married and find someone who'd actually marry me, I won't have to worry anymore. <laughs> uh, after college... I worried about whether I was smart enough to get through seminary. And when I was in seminary, I started to worry about having enough money to get through seminary. When my wife got pregnant, I worried about having healthy kids. And then when they were born, I started worrying, well, are we going to scar them forever? Because, you know, and they would say probably yes. And I even worry about the sermon on worry, you know. So you would think after all these years of worry and suing and fretting and God providing, I'd learn, stop it. If joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. Worry is a pervasive sense of the opposite, that all is not well, and my life is not really in good hands. There was a woman who kept a worry journal, keeping track of what was worrying her, and then she went back and evaluated and found that 40% of her concerns were things that never actually could happen or would happen. 30% were things in the past that she couldn't change. 12% were about criticisms from others, which was, probably says more about them than her. 10% were related to her health, which probably got worse as she worried. And only 8% were situations in which she could actually do something. 92% of what she spent her time worrying about, she couldn't change a thing. Jesus asked, can any of you by worrying add one hour to your life? It's a rhetorical question. No. Part of worry is how your brain is wired. I, I guess there's a particular genetic trait that some people carry that cor correlates with a predisposition for worry. So some of you are more wired to worry than others, and now you're worried that you might have that trait, right? Here's the thing. Worry is not something you can try harder to stop doing, okay? It's like telling someone to try harder to go to sleep at night. Most people who try to stop worrying, trying harder, they're just going to end up worrying more. So if you're like me, you read what Paul says here about not being anxious about anything, and you're thinking, 
Really? Is this possible? But thankfully, Paul's not saying just try harder. He gives some very practical ways we can confront worry. Here's the first one. Remember, God is near. Paul doesn't say, just don't worry. He begins with a very simple and yet profound statement about the reality that God is close to you, this God of the universe. And it may be that the quality of your spiritual life can be accurately predicted by how you answer one simple question. Do you live as if God is close or far away? I'm not asking if you believe God is close. I'm asking if you live and act and behave as if God is right close to you. God's, Paul's first command in this text is rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is our reason for rejoicing. And the God who is near you is not anxious what you are anxious about. He is not anxious about your marriage or your kids. He's not anxious about your finances. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. He cares very much. But here's the good news. He's not worried. You know why? He knows who's in control. And when we live more in awareness of God's presence, we begin to experience that peace in our minds and in our bodies. It's related to what Paul calls gentleness here. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That's a word that means calm in the presence of trouble or kindness in the presence of unkind people. The Philippians were being persecuted. And he says, but you be calm in your reactions to them. The next series after this happiness one, we're going to start it in June, is going to be out of the book of Psalms. We're going to spend a couple months there. And the goal in Psalms is for us to just get closer to God and realize He is near, and no matter what's going on in our lives, God is near. Now, the Lord's nearness here could be a reference also to the second coming. The second coming is near. And this world, with all its challenges and heartaches and disappointments, will someday be done. So his nearness is twofold. He's an ever-present Lord here right now, and his return may occur at any time. That should help with your worry issues. Let your gentleness be known to all carries also the idea of graciousness. I'm standing in a checkout line, and I'm in the express line that says 15 items or less. I have three items in my cart. The guy in front of me has a cart full of stuff. I start counting them. There's at least 18 items there, and I'm a little legalistic about these things, and I probably need counseling about this. But anyway, I immediately don't like this guy. This guy is a jerk. He's inconsiderate. I can't stand him. I don't think anybody else likes this guy either. And in fact, I doubt if his wife likes him, and if Jesus were here, he wouldn't like him either. And I can just feel this, you know, frustration spilling into my body language and my face and all that. And then the cashier looks at me and she says, Hey, you're the preacher of Mount Pulaski, aren't you? And I'm a little embarrassed because I think she can probably tell I'm losing my cool and a little bit angry and we know preachers never sin. And so I said, Yeah, I'm the preacher at the Lutheran church. <laughs> my gentleness was not very evident at all. And I was totally preoccupied with me, and that's why I didn't have a gracious attitude. See, the thing about worry, so much of it is a preoccupation with ourselves. How am I doing? What are people going to think about me? How will my life go? What about my future? Why do I have to stand here in line? And Paul says when we're aware of God's presence, we can start to experience some of the joy and the gentleness and freedom from worry and the gratitude and peace, all these things mentioned in our text. God is near. And then he says, talk to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with your thanksgiving, 
present your request to God. When a person is worrying about something, there tends to be a lot of thinking and talking to yourself, this running commentary, you know, goes on in our head, you know, what am I going to do? How can I get out of this? You know, how can I solve this? You know, what's he going to think? And in a way, worry is fed by this, self, this cycle of self-talk. And the way we interrupt that cycle of self-talk is start talking to God, directly to God instead. And so I don't say to myself, Mark, how are you going to get through this? I start with God and say, God, I need help with this in this situation, with my problem at family, my problem at work or whatever. And Paul tells us to do this in every situation, present your request to God. I was in another checkout line this past Tuesday. I think I hit checkout lines. And I was in a hurry. I had an appointment to get to. And I'm waiting and waiting. And I know God says be patient. So I'm trying to be patient. Say, God, I can do this. And I finally get to next in line. And I'm, I'm going to see the clerk. And sometimes you have this intuition that this is not going to go well. Because I'm in a hurry. And just know. It's going to go badly. So anyway, I get to the clerk, and the coupon that my lovely wife asked me to use was not good for what I had gotten. Now, guys, when you shop for your wife, it seldom goes well, right? And I was so mad. And immediately, this battle starts in my mind. I've been waiting and waiting patiently. And then I get to the clerk, and, and i got to run way back to the end of the back store and get something else and come back and wait in line again. And so this battle, this self-talk is going on in my mind, and I'm frustrated. And they say, okay. You're going to preach on worry this Sunday, so let's talk to God. So I talk to God, and the Holy Spirit says, Whoever do the right thing, just cool it. It's not worth it. And it did help. It's not always quite that, I don't know if it was easy, but it doesn't always work out that way. But it does help. Talk to God. When you're in an argument with your spouse, talk to God. See what he has to say about this. When you're trying to discipline your te or teach your kids, ask God for help. When you're unsure about how to pay all your bills, ask God for help. James says... You do not have. Why? Because you don't ask. It's as, that's as clear as the text can be. Ask God. Now, one of the simplest ways to confront worry is to ask God for help in any situation, no matter what's going on. So this week, I want you to make a commitment. In that moment when you feel anxiety in your body, you're standing in line, and you got, you know, maybe you're getting a little anxious, and those things are coming into your mind, you ask God, help me. Whatever it is, just stop, take a breath, time out. Be direct with God, be honest, and realize he's got this. He's in control. I think a good summary of this verse is the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Give it over to God. God doesn't worry. He knows who's in control. Now, Paul says when you talk to God, do it with a certain mindset, and this is so important, this little phrase, with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Now, last week we talked about this. It's the parent of all virtues. In many ways, it's the parent of a joyful, fulfilling life. Be thankful for a God who's in the midst of every situation that's causing you to worry. I, this is so critical. Just asking God for help by itself won't give you peace. But asking, for God, asking God for help with thanksgiving, that changes everything. In every situation, there is something for which we can be thankful. Your marriage may be on the rocks, but you're still married. So while you're asking for help, thank God for the chance to fix it. Your spouse may be, have cancer, but you can be thankful for that spouse who has blessed your life for the past 40 years. Your finances may be shaky, but you have your health, you have your family, you're still employed. So when you're asking for help, you thank God for those things. Gratitude is one of the most powerful antidotes for worry because the goal is not that your circumstances will get instantly better. They usually won't. The goal in gratitude is to experience God's peace even when life isn't peaceful. 
Paul calls this the peace that transcends understanding. It's possible to live at peace when nobody else can really understand it. You can improve your gratitude. Like exercise, you can, it can become a habit. And like exercise, it gets easier as you do it. You know, keep a gratitude journal or write what you're gra- grateful for on an index card and toss it into a blessings jar and, and read them periodically. And then Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think great thoughts. What you think about matters. The images you see, the films you watch, what you look at, the music you listen to, what, what you read, every a- will affect every aspect of your body, your spirit, your soul, and your mind. Last summer, I was reading through a magazine, and the whole issue was on neuroscience and the brain. And it correlates the health of the brain with the health of the soul. And it says a healthy brain increases the chance of having a healthy spiritual life. Well, that makes sense. And the converse is also true. If your spiritual life is not developed, it can have a negative effect on the functioning of your brain. So if you engage repeatedly in negative images, it has a negative effect on how your brain functions and creates these negative neural paths in your brain. Conversely, good things like prayer and meditation on the Bible have a positive effect and creates positive neural paths. And it's interesting that prayer and Bible reading, meditation, they make your brain healthier. That was the whole gist of the article. Exactly what Paul would say here, pray, fill your mind with the right stuff. And then the article talked about how God changes a brain. It says brain plasticity is a rapidly emerging field and an interesting one in light of the process of sanctification, which is becoming holy. Plasticity means your brain can respond to change. You're not stuck with the brain you have. You can make it better regardless of your age. Anyone here over 80? Yeah, we got a few. You can change your brain. Good news. The author says he can prove it through brain scans. There is scientific hard evidence that spirituality actually changes the brain. I guess the Bible knows what it's talking about. It says pray, fill your mind with good things, talk to God. Taking on worry is not a matter of trying harder. It's mostly about what you're feeding your mind day in and day out. Real transformation isn't about trying harder to do better. It's about renewing our minds and confronting what's going on in our heads. The number one tweeted verse in 2014 was Romans 12.2. You've all heard it. Many of you memorized it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Be transformed by the law of cognition. You are what you think. It's a, it's a major tool in psychology, cognitive therapy. If you want to change somebody, change what's going on up here. So today, I want to do a little bit of filling your mind. You remember back in school, you had to memorize things. Graduates, did you ever have to memorize anything? Probably so. And I know you love memorizing, so we're going to do that this morning, just in honor of the graduates. I want us to say this verse with me, and we're going to memorize it. Okay? Here we go. Do not... Conform. Then. You think we can memorize that? Wally, can you memorize this? Yep. Okay, he can do it. All right, let's go to the next slide. Okay. Do not conform to the world. Be transformed. 
approved. Let's leave it there. Let's do that again. Do not con no, no, go back. Go back for screen. Do not conform to the pattern of this. Okay, we got that done. Let's go to the next one. It's going to get a little tougher now. All right, can you do it? Here we go. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Have you got it? Can you do it? You guys are great. Let's do it one more. Oh, no, let's go back. Sorry. Okay, let's do it one more time. I'm not going to help. Do not You guys, you're, you're good. Okay, let's take it away. Let's, uh, can we do it? Here we go. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Okay, when we meet someone, we ask, yeah, give yourself a hand. <laughs> you did well. When we meet someone, we ask, how are you doing or how are you feeling? But the bigger question is, how are you thinking? Think about whatever's true. A great question to ask yourself when you're in a moment of anxiety is simply, is this thought true? Is this worry valid? Very often it's not true. Think about whatever is noble or honorable. Think about what is right or pure. One of the reasons for reading scripture is helpful is that it gets our minds to engage on what is right, what is pure. This summer, we're going to challenge you to read scripture every day, particularly out of the Psalms. Fill your mind, fill your mind, and over time, it does make a difference. Paul says, whatever is lovely, our minds need to dwell on beauty, on music, on a sunny day, the face of a person, someone you love. We have lilac bushes out in front of our house blooming right now, and I come out the front door and I'm overwhelmed with the delicious scent of those blossoms. It's just, just a reminder, thank God and contemplate what's beautiful. Whatever is admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. If you do that, your moods will be different, your attitudes will change, your level of worry will be different because you are what you think. And so let me ask you, how's your mental diet? What are you feeding your mind? What does it dwell on? I used to listen to a preacher religiously. I won't tell you his name. Some of you know him. And I love his preaching. But he had a mild stuttering problem. problem. <laughs> and my wife noticed the more I listened to the hymn, the more I stuttered when I preached. Interesting. Just that subconscious influence. So what are you filling your mind with? Graduates, what's the most important stuff for you to learn? to put into your head. Paul closes with this promise, and the God of peace will be with you. When fears take hold and your mind is racing and you can't make it stop, take a breath. God is near. Talk to Him. Be grateful and think great thoughts. Let's pray. Lord, this is an amazing text with amazing promises. And we are thankful that you are near. And I pray for all of us for wisdom and courage and strength to be thankful and to administer some cognitive therapy on ourselves, to feed our minds with the healthy stuff. And we trust, we know that your spirit is in us and working. And it will he will transform us so that we are not 
anxious. Now we know, Lord, this is easier said than done. So we ask for your help. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.